Today's show is sponsored by PhoenixNap, the global data center and infrastructure as a service company. Their bare metal cloud helps you automate server provisioning using API, CLI, or popular infrastructure as code tools. You can simplify your infrastructure management tasks and focus on your code, get it out fast. Bare Metal Cloud is simple to deploy, manage, and scale. With more than 20 advanced configurations that are available for near-instant deployment, including servers with third-generation Intel Xeon scalable processors, you can choose between six global locations and get 15 terabytes of bandwidth for free. Leverage raw power of dedicated servers for cloud-like flexibility. Get Bare Metal Cloud today by visiting phoenixnap.com slash bare-metal-cloud for more details. That's phoenixnap.com slash bare-metal-cloud for more details. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Another Sunday perspective as we move into October of 2021. We are in the fourth quarter of the year and, uh, you know, the season of, of Halloween and uh, daylight savings time happening and all sorts of fall stuff. So um, today is going to be the first of two shows that I'm going to do kind of around Innovator's Dilemma. Um, this first one is going to focus more on the innovators, uh, and we're going to talk about a couple of things that have been going on uh, recently. And then part two, and uh, you know, you're going to have to wait till next Sunday to get part two, but part two is going to be kind of looking at it from the other perspective of uh, somebody who has been uh, innovated around, and we'll kind of walk through sort of the mechanics of, of how all that happened. So um, with first one, we're going to kind of dive into uh, partially centered around an announcement that was made this past week, uh, Cloudflare. Uh, one of the companies who most people know as a CDN company and a DDoS uh, mitigation company came out with a offering called R2. Um, and basically what they've been doing for the last few months is really um, looking at the egress bandwidth cost or the network costs uh, of working with AWS. And, you know, their big push has really been around, you know, how do we reduce those costs for traffic that's, um, you know, leaving from the the, the application out towards the users? Um, you know, they made sort of a, a thing about it this summer, tried to raise it as an issue. Um, they created something called the Bandwidth Alliance to try and normalize some of those costs and not make them so burdensome on, on end users and customers and so forth. Um, and they came out this week with a service that really is directly attacking, uh, you know, going after a huge profit center for AWS in something they call R2, which is an object storage offering that's targeted being delivered through their edge CDN network uh, and trying to do it with the elimination of egress network costs. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. We're also going to put it into the context of the broader sort of innovators dilemma that is being faced by now AWS. They were, you know, originally the the IT innovator dilemma uh, dilemma creator for a lot of the IT industry, um, and now we're beginning to see from not only Cloudflare but we've seen it, you know, beginning to build up from a number of different companies and a number of different offerings. And we're going to kind of look at how that uh, is, you know impacted by time and kind of what's going on today. I know there's a lot of podcasts that have been talking about this R2 thing, but I kind of want to put it in a little bigger context um, in terms of, you know, how some of these types of offerings and offering like this can begin to reshape what has been the last 10 years of a lot of dominance by AWS and, and a big move towards uh, the big three cloud providers, but AWS in particular. So we're going to get to that after the break. Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast. 
And CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets' team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com cloudcast. And we're back. And, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to dive a little bit into the first part of, I'm going to do a two-part Innovator's Dilemma uh, series here. I'm going to do this one this week uh, on this Sunday show, and then we'll do the second part on next Sunday's show. Um, what we're going to do in this first part is really look at um, an incumbent who, in AWS, who was the original sort of uh, creator of the Innovator's Dilemma in the IT space. So, you know, AWS comes along in 2006, 2007, uh, you know, whatever their origin story that you want to believe is. But essentially, they came along and they said, hey, um, the way IT is run today, the way the IT industry is run today is not uh, sustainable for companies who are trying to innovate quite a bit. You know, right? in the time, it was Amazon, the company, Amazon.com, basically putting pressure on the Amazon.com internal IT organization to say, hey, look, uh, the way that you guys do things um, doesn't fit the type of things that we need to do with our business. We need you to be able to create something that is more agile, more on demand, more flexible in terms of adding new capabilities that we need, you know, more modular in terms of allowing us to put things together in ways that, you know, you didn't necessarily do in IT. And then eventually, uh, that internal capability of how to do that became something that spun into the AWS business. And, you know, there's lots of history about that. But, you know, in essence, you had uh, somebody who kind of solved their own problem, which was, um, you know, the the services that needed to be consumed by the business were not uh, able to be delivered by the IT organization. They built a new mousetrap, if you will. They eventually realized, hey, there is a big market demand for this in that, um, you know, lines of business for other companies don't love their IT organization. They're not able to deliver things. There are new ways of doing work. And, we're going to create uh, this AWS thing that is going to be disruptive. And, you know, it was disruptive, as we all know, in in many, many ways. I've gone through the history of this a number of times uh, so far this year. But, I mean, the ability to get things on demand, the ability to have various types of pricing, the ability to um, consume things via APIs as opposed to manual uh, intervention all the time, the ability to, you know, have just a ton of different fairly modular services that you could kind of put together in any way that you wanted to and that you could, um, you know, consume in some cases from one single company and be able to buy databases and networking and compute and storage and, uh, you know, all sorts of things from one company. Well, that, that was all really different. Like we, you know, we've had bits and pieces of that in their own swim lanes. We never had that. So for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, almost, I guess almost 15 years now, AWS has been the uh, tip of the spear of the innovator's dilemma for the much broader IT industry. Um, And what's interesting is that, um, you know, like any company, uh, if we go back in time and look at, you know, all the companies who have been the tip of the spear of the innovator's dilemma, right? Microsoft being the tip of the spear in the PC, the shift from, you know, proprietary hardware, proprietary software to, 
open systems. They were the tip of the spear doing that along with, with Intel, right? Um, you know, we saw this happening with Apple being the tip of the spear in changing us from, uh, you know, desktop computing into more mobile and uh, handheld type of computing with the iPhone and the iPad and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, Google with, you know, changing the way that the dynamics of the internet work and ad driven and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what eventually happens uh, in some cases, not every case, I mean, sometimes we continue to have, you know, companies like uh, Google who still have dominant share in things like um, uh, advertising or, or even Android and so forth. But you begin to, um, you know, especially as that dominant company uh, becomes larger and larger, they have uh, larger sales goals to meet every year and, and those sales goals continue to grow and their profit demands continue to grow. Their shareholders expect more and more. Um, the people that compete with them in the market begin to look at their business and really begin to dissect their business and begin to look for things that are not only, you know, healthy profit margins, right? The old saying of, you know, one company's profit margin is another company's opportunity, but also begin to look at, you know, what are the things that are painful to the customers or the users of that system that potentially uh, you could create a better mousetrap and go fix. And, What's been interesting is, you know, we, we've had this discussion for a long time of like, hey, there's there's kind of three big main clouds, and yeah, there's you know there's a few others, that, you know, there's DigitalOcean and IBM and Oracle and Alibaba, and you know, there's there's some others, uh, maybe you'd consider them second tier clouds, whatever. But we always sort of looked at all those clouds as kind of the same thing, right? They were, um, you know, sort of these semi centralized entities with a lot of locations offering, you know, bare. Uh, you know, kind of core resources, you know, compute, network, storage, database, uh, you know, whatever else was being offered. And, and then we begin to see this kind of chipping away uh, or, you know, new technologies kind of emerging, which again, didn't even fit the standard, like I need a full compute node. I need a certain kind of storage. I need whatever. We began to see these um, you know, kind of specialized things and unique things, right? And and even within the AWS world, you know, they created the paradigm of essentially serverless with Lambda. But we've seen more and more companies, whether it's you know GitHub with Actions and, and Runners, or Netlify, or you know uh, a number of the CDN companies beginning to offer sort of compute on their edge CDN nodes. And we've begun to see this thing of sort of like again, fractional computing, right? Same way that virtualization created fractional computing uh, a while ago, and then containers, uh, you know, even fractionalized that even more. And then we begin to see serverless, and we all sort of ask, like, oh, what's the next thing? What we really are, are seeing now is the beginning of this new innovation, this new innovator's dilemma, which is, um, you know, how can I not only offer a different, more modular, more uh, fractional, type of computing, which is going to lead to the possibility of new businesses being created, new paradigms of how we interact, but also really looking at, you know, what are the biggest profit centers of the people that we're competing against, at least fractionally competing against, and are there unique and creative ways in which we can, you know, not only uh, displace some of that margin um, into other businesses, but also potentially solve a problem for our customers. Because if all you do is displace margin, but you don't solve a new problem for customers, that, that becomes irrelevant. So long story short, um, uh, um, Cloudflare comes out with uh, this thing they call R2. 
And R2, as like I mentioned, there's a lot of different people who did podcasts this week. Uh, the guys from Software Defined Talk and Ben Thompson, I think Corey Quinn did one, talking about what this is. You know, in essence, what they're doing is they are offering, uh, number one, a object storage service uh, in addition to their CDN service. So they already have a CDN service, which is sort of a compute service. It's more of a distribution service, uh, an object storage service called R2 that is going to be AWS S3 compatible. And the really killer feature of this, uh, beyond being S3 compatible, is that it will have uh, really cheap or free egress costs. And for anybody who's followed AWS, and there's some links I have in the show notes, you know, egress costs have been, uh, you know, the bane of a lot of people's existence, Uh, big complaint, uh, an area that hasn't dropped in prices with AWS in a very long time. And they're basically going after that, um, you know, that profit margin, right? So what's really interesting about it is, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, these guys now want to be the number four cloud and they want to become a full service thing. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I mean, that maybe is a long range vision for them. But I think what they're doing in the near term from an innovator's dilemma perspective is not just, you know, attacking, uh, you know, S3 and this one sort of use case, but really what they're doing is they're going, um, let's let's create a model in which it's uh, more advantageous for people that have use cases that are going to have a lot of outbound data, which, you know, in a mobile world or maybe an edge world, um, that's a really different paradigm than trying to displace data centers, which is what AWS was originally intending to do. That was their, their original thing, right? Displace data centers and do it in unique ways. But, you know, now with mobile computing being what it is, uh, the types of applications that are driven by mobile and, and exclusively mobile and edge, uh, again, very different traffic patterns and data patterns and application patterns. They're really going after that. And they're going after it in conjunction with uh, these sort of serverless offerings that they already had, right? So when people say, well, they can't really be the number four cloud because they don't have a full EC2 offering or they don't have a database as a service offering, well, maybe they don't need it, right? Maybe what they're doing is just like a NetLafly is going after you know, a certain type of development pattern or other people are going after a certain type of development pattern. This is them going after what they believe will become an emerging development pattern, and their bet, I'm assuming, is that this becomes a really big thing. So my my kind of conclusion of this thing is is not don't look at this as just this is just one feature and it's going after one profit center of AWS, or you know, this is potentially them saying they want to be the number four cloud, but they don't have all the things that the top three clouds have. Well, they may not need that because when you are the innovator, you start from the bottom. Um, and for anybody who's listening to this and you, you never paid attention to it, go read a book uh, by Clayton Christensen called The Innovator's Dilemma. Uh, he was a Harvard professor. Um, it's you know sort of a world famous business book. I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to go you know get a copy off Amazon or whatever. Um, but in essence, they don't have to replace everything, right? The history of technology has always proven to us and shown us that to be disruptive, you don't have to do everything the old one did. You have to do it faster. And you have to do it significantly cheaper. And, you, and you're going to provide a lesser product. But there is a market initially at the low end for those that provide faster, cheaper, significantly cheaper at the lower end, lower features, um, but they solve a distinct, distinct problem. And I think that's ultimately what this is going after. And what's going to be interesting is you know, we're seeing all these different sort of uh, places coming at AWS from these edge 
small footprint, serverless, you know, runners, uh, computing off of a CDN network type of thing. And collectively, those begin to become the innovator's dilemma for an AWS or even for any of the big three for that matter. And I think that's the more interesting story because what we're really talking about here is disruption rarely happens from purely new technology ideas. Oh, it's a better experience, right? There's a few of those, you know, like the iPhone, but the iPhone also changed the economics of everything. But it's, it's always because uh, you're going to radically change the economics of what's going on, right? Um, and I think that's, that's kind of what we're always talking about is, um, you know, AWS has now built themselves into the everything store, just like they have in, in retail. But as we all know, if we followed computing over the last 40 plus years or so, you know, we tend to move away from the big monolithic thing. We moved away from, you know, uh, the mainframe, you know, still exists, but, but more or less moved away from the mainframe. We've moved into more distributed architectures. We've moved away from, you know, big monolithic, uh, you know, even laptop stacks that are the, the operating system and the, and the work and the productivity tools on top of it and other stuff. You know, we've, we've moved into more distributed types of things, more lighter weight things that we're willing to put together in bits and pieces because the economics are different and because the speed that it allows us to move is different. And AWS has reached a point that obviously on one hand, they still have a very modular architecture. You can consume almost literally any service, anytime, however you want to, but more and more you see them putting them together and you see the dependencies that are built in. And again, that's a, you know, that's a pro and a con, right? I mean, uh, for many companies, you know, being able to buy from one vendor and getting it all from them and, and negotiating that price is a, is a pro. They look at that as an advantage, but you're going to see, um, you know, more and more companies, companies you've never even heard of before, that'll come out of this that go, but I only want part of something. I only need this little bit. And this is the opportunity for these innovators. And I, I say all this, and again, you know, if you've been listening to the show for the last six months, you may be listening to all this and going, oh, wow, you know, he's, he's bashing on AWS and they've got new leadership in place. So, you know, he's just sort of looking for an angle to sort of, you know, call for their demise or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, if you look at the history of computing and you look at the history of, you know, what happens even with the best innovators and they become, uh, you know, over periods of time, whether it's, you know, Cisco innovating in networking or Oracle innovating in database or Microsoft innovating in, you know, laptop and personal computing or whatever it is, right? Like there's always the thing that comes after that. It's very rare that that same paradigm with the same company remains, you know, forever. And what you're looking for is, what displaces it? Do they displace it themselves, right? Do they disrupt themselves? Or, you know, are things like an R2, maybe it's not specifically Cloudflare or an R2, but this type of model going to begin to disrupt it and disrupt it not purely in a disruptive way, but creating the, the, the foundation for what's possible and what's next. And the reason I say that is because every time we've had a major economic shakeup, whether it was the internet crash in 2000 or the housing bubble market and the credit markets in 2008 or this COVID thing over the last couple of years, every single time that happens, uh, and you, know, you can go back even further, um, there's always new technology paradigms, new application paradigms, new service consumption paradigms that emerge out of that that nobody expected. And when you have the combination of, um, you know, potentially, these new, lighter weight, cheaper, faster ways of doing computing, and you've got you know the 
impetus that comes out of, you know, the craziness that's been COVID over the last couple of years and people working differently, people working in more distributed fashions, um, all these types of things. I think, you know, those are the types of ingredients that you would expect to see out of uh, a very healthy innovator's dilemma culture. Maybe not one company, maybe it's a set of companies, but are going to try and disrupt the sort of mainstream way of doing cloud computing, right? We've seen people trust in cloud computing, they trust it in a certain way. Those new innovators don't have to gain that trust from companies. They expect to now work with things that are in the cloud and SaaS things and modular services. So they're not having to go through the same pains that AWS did, but they're going to have to go and convince customers in a new way. And if they can do that in a way that is significantly cheaper and potentially significantly easier to work with and potentially unlocks some new use cases that just maybe you could sort of do them before, but they're just easier. They're two steps easier. They're 20 steps easier. Um, you know, this is the foundation for what becomes the next generation of an innovator's dilemma here in our IT industry. So uh, I'm not, you know, sort of making a statement that uh, Cloudflare should be the number four cloud. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But I think if you think about it in a broader context, um, you know, these types of things by these types of companies that are not trying to replicate an AWS or an Azure or Google, they're doing it very strategically. They're looking at places that is going to force the incumbent to sort of make some very, you know, tough decisions, but also they're looking at, you know, really changing the, the paradigm for how customers interact and what the economics look like and what the speed of change can be, um, becomes really, really interesting. So anyways, something to look at, um, you know, whether or not this will be game changing or just a blip in the radar screen or whether or not, you know, this will, um, you know, create the next round of, of acquisitions that we see from big cloud providers now buying up some of these smaller companies that are nibbling at their, their ankles and stuff. Maybe we'll see that as well. So, uh, I'm going to wrap up with the sort of, like I said, part one of the innovators dilemma. This was more looking at, Hey, what's happens when, uh, the, environment is right for innovation. The motivation is right. The economics are beginning to be right. Um, you know, just the timing is potentially right for a new set of innovators. And the next one, we're going to look at a little bit of a historical look uh, based on some recent um, articles and discussions that are floating around at, you know, some ways that you might have missed <laughs> the changes that were coming and how that can be uh, disruptive to your company, destructive to your company, and um, you know, offer new opportunities for other industry players to come in and uh, and significantly change the uh, the landscape of what's going on. So, with that, I'm going to wrap up. Hope everybody hope everybody is doing well. Uh, love that uh, you know you're enjoying these shows. We we had our our best month in two years last this this last month. Uh, it's great to see everybody coming back from the pandemic. Um, lots of new users uh, coming back to the show or telling a friend. We really appreciate when you help us grow the community. So please keep doing that. Uh, we will keep cranking out shows every Wednesday and Sunday for you. Uh, if you can give us feedback on the show, we'd love five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcast. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 